You Might Love This. It's a show-and-tell podcast. My name is Max. And I'm Cassie. And today, we have a guest who is a friend of ours who we've known for several years now. She's someone who has lots and lots of interests in common with us. And we have wanted to have her on a podcast of ours. Uh, and in fact, you may have rec- you may recognize her from a po- from our previous podcast project. If you're a listener, please welcome Laura Ray. Hello, welcome Hi. Laura Ray. It's lovely having you on our new show. It's lovely to be here. I'm happy. Well, I am so happy to say hello to you again on a podcast. What is it that you want to tell our listener? What are you showing and telling today? I'm I'm showing and telling sort of. Like, I have a vague concept, which is both the Metroidvania and the Egavania genre of game. But Ooh, starting fun. starting also with, you know, Castlevania, because I know a lot about that and a little bit of history about uh, Koji Igarashi, because he's a f***ing cool dude. Oh, is yeah. cursing okay? No, but it's okay. okay. We have a little bicorn <laughs> sound effect that we put over cursing. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, this is exciting. This is our first video games related one or like explicitly video games related one um, because we had the first episode was about cosplay, which obviously there's some video game crossover there. But this is the first episode we've had that's fully about video games, yeah. which is pretty neat. So I guess something that's that would be good to get out of the way, Laura Ray, is what is Castlevania? What uh, What is it about this particular game that is important to gamers? Okay, so Castlevania started out actually uh, as not Castlevania. It was called... Called Vampire Killer. Uh, nice. It was released. <laughs> it was released in 1986 on this weird platform that was like a, a computer uh, called an MSX2. So this is the MSX and the MSX2. Oh, okay. And they're both, they're both, you know, they predate the Nintendo, the Famicom. So they are this, like, they look like a. Mm, Commodore 64 with okay. a detached keyboard. So this is like a special computer more than it is like what we would recognize as a video game console today. E- yes, it was. Yes, uh, it was so, uh, very similar, I think, to the Commodore 64. But I think it had more uh, game development on it. I know specifically oh. the first Metal Gear game was developed on MSX. Hmm. So and gamers yeah. will recognize that one very immediately. <laughs> yep. Um, so... Originally, it was in Japan, released as Vampire Killer, and then uh, in the United States, it came out as Castlevania. And it was just this amazing, like, horror genre mashup, side-scrolling, platforming, action-adventure game that you know people hadn't seen stuff like that before it was right so this was in the era of like pong and breakout and that kind of thing right yeah you're starting to get you know stuff like mario but all of these games are like games for kids you know it's a game for a kid and it's cute you don't have like quake and you don't have doom you don't (laughs) have scary video games so uh this came out and it was just sort of this like really creepy atmospheric the music was amazing the graphics were really cool it had all of the classic classic movie monsters yeah There's a word for it, but I can't remember what it is. But yeah, so so it had like it had Dracula, obviously. He's the vampire that needs to be killed. (laughs) In the title, yes. Yeah. And so they had that. They had the Wolfman. They had a big bat that you fought at the beginning. (laughs) Just like a really, really big bat. Skeletons and and witches and Frankensteins and you know, all that good, good stuff. And then 
like all of these games at the beginning had your main guy who was in the first one, Simon Belmont, I believe. And then in the rest, it was just like another Belmont uh, up until like you get to what is it? Symphony X. And then it's uh, Alucard. There's a lot of deep lore and I don't know all of it because I hopped in well into the uh, Egovania times. So yeah, you you originally played as this guy who was like sort of a beefy, big <laughs> chunk of meat who had a whip. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, he's kind of so he's kind of in the in the vein of the like Conan the Barbarian uh, Hercules yeah. TV show kind of guy. Oh, okay, yeah, but, right. but like pixelated, so he's just like a little blob. <laughs> and then um, he had a whip, and then he had like what was the ranged- whip for? Killing vampires. <laughs> <laughs> the whip is your weapon. You use it to kill vampires, also big bats. What? This yeah. is and interesting vampire uh, <laughs> vampire rules. Kill him with a whip. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't think that one was developed by uh, Igarashi. Okay. So who is this guy but, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, Koji Igarashi? Yeah, he is uh, insanely cool. He's like the coolest guy <laughs> ever. Um <laughs> He, uh, I have in my notes, Igarashi is a character. So <laughs> this guy, he got inspiration for Castlevania from exploring abandoned buildings as a kid. Oh. Yeah. I have a question. Sure. I'm, I'm pretty ignorant of a lot of Japanese culture. Um, where did he get the, besides the abandoned buildings, is he like a big fan of horror movies and were horror movies uh, a big thing in Japan? Um, or I well, guess, I guess, I mean, American classic, you know, I know Japan is known for some really good horror movies, especially contemporary horror movies, but where was uh, a, a love for classic Frankenstein, Dracula, all those a, a big thing in Japan or was this more of an individual interest of his? So the Universal, and this is the word that I was looking for, the Universal movie monsters were always sort of a big thing in Japan. Like, if you think about it, that's, you know, Godzilla comes from King Kong. Like, you're Ah. looking at different aspects of giant monsters. So obviously, those Universal monster movies were seriously uh, influential in Japan on, on their horror. They just, you know, twisted it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then you have this guy, Igarashi, who uh, explores uh, abandoned haunted buildings for fun, <laughs> wears a Indiana Jones-esque fedora and bullwhip and can use <laughs> <laughs> can use it. Yeah, he he like he's this he's like beyond cool dude. And uh, when you talk about Konami in the early days, uh, you're talking about, you know, just this kind of a miserable place to work. I mean, at, like even now working in the games industry in Japan is miserable working in uh, any sort of creative production industry in Japan is miserable because you don't mm-hmm. get paid um, and you are working 80 hour weeks and stuff like that. But um, so actually uh, Igarashi uh, met his future wife while working at Konami, because she was working on, what was it? She was working on uh, Rondo of Blood, and he would 
come over and play it during a uh, Rondo of Blood is one of the Castlevania games. So he, she was working on Castlevania Rondo of Blood while he was uh, programming a different game, and he would come over and play it whenever he had breaks and do their QA testing. Huh. And QA yeah. testing for those who who don't know is the sort of like really mindless job of doing absolutely everything inside the video game to make sure it doesn't break when players do that. Mm. So like going up to walls and pressing up against them and jumping <laughs> into place. Like really? Yeah, literally just going and, and doing like every possible input on every possible map square so wow. that like they can be sure they're not shipping something that breaks when players try to play it. Wow. So a real intense video game inspector. Kind of, yes, yeah. sort of, okay. yeah. You're, you're playing the game, but you're also trying to break the game. Like, that's okay. generally <laughs> what QA testers are trying to do. You're, you're trying to make it so that, you know, you're not able to break it. So you do everything that you can to break it. Okay, cool. So uh, he started playing these uh, these Castlevania properties, and then he would later go on to, to sort of take the helm of a Castlevania project, right? Yeah, so... This is like totally not confirmed, but it's a story that like has been repeated in several uh, magazines. I think it came from like one interview. So it might be totally not real, but I think it's a great story. So he had uh, been playing Metroid uh, and he was going to, you know, buy like groceries or something. And he saw in the bargain bin the game that his wife had developed and put all her love into and he was like well this this is not good for the castlevania franchise that we love so much so uh you know he was inspired at that point to sort of mash the two things up which is why you get metroidvania or egavania um so uh he did that for symphony of the night which was uh PlayStation game, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was 97. Um, And then, like, it was this entirely new aesthetic. No longer do you have the big beefcake. The the guys, (laughs) the the artist, what is her name? I think it's Ayame Kojima. I need to look. I know it's Kojima something, sorry. Ayami Kojima. Yes. Uh, Ayami Kojima is the uh, the artist that he worked with. She's amazing on her own because she is totally self-taught. So like all of her skill is just like on her own. And she does stuff that is like totally unheard of for, you know, fine artists to do. So like to, to make these amazing, like lush, just dripping wet looking paintings like they're beautiful and so the way that she did it was like she would paint with oil paint and then go in on top of it with like pencil and charcoal to to get it just like really texturally like dense yeah uh and and she did these paintings that were like just beautiful you know Wayfish. Max is showing me now. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're kind really of inspired cool. by like um, kind of anime inspired. Yeah, yes. it feels like by that sort of um, uh, bishonen style. Yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you don't have beef beefcakes anymore. You have bishonen, uh, and then the which is sort of uh, a, a like slang for beautiful young man. <laughs> yes. Um. So you have these cutie guys uh, going up. <laughs> 
Uh, and they're using RPG mechanics. So instead of just having like one weapon that you use the whole time and then a variety of like throwables, you're you're getting, you know, weapons that you can combine with magic powers and, and, and do stuff with them. And, you know, like this is something that you see uh, as a through line. But one of the big things that was introduced was this idea that comes from Metroids where you explore a little bit of the map and then you get stuck essentially somewhere. So you have to find a way to break through the barrier to get to the next place. So, um, and, and that's the whole game is that your map just gets, you know, uh, larger and larger uh, depending on how long you're playing the game. And that's just, I, I think the hallmark of a good Metroidvania is that uh, first off, you don't, you, you know what it is that you need to do. You have a mm -hmm. goal that you need to complete and you know what it is. Uh, and then completing that goal helps you to get further in the game. And it's not something like, oh, I just beat this boss. It's very like, it's very nonlinear. Mm -hmm. hmm. It's not like you have missions that you go out on. It's sort of like you're just, you have one big goal, which for Castlevania is like kill Dracula. And then, you know, all along the way to that big goal, you have to do sort of smaller things, you know, get get different ways of moving around that allow you to get through uh, barriers. I guess that that is like a cool way to look at the kind of urban exploration that he was doing uh, in his youth. It's hmm. like there are just sort of barriers that you have to get around if you want to get to the new place. Yeah. And That's it's all about it's all about that exploration. It's like the um, the whole goal to the game, the whole enjoyment that you get out of it is from unlocking a way to get somewhere new. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of games that have been, you know, sort of inspired by this. Like, I'm sure you're aware of, like, you know, trying to think of some. I know Shantae has a couple Metroidvania mm -hmm. games that were really, really fun, including Seven Sirens, which was adorable and also animated by uh, Studio Trigger, I believe. Uh, oh, just the cutscenes, yeah, yeah. Um, but cool. yeah, so you mentioned that you've been using the uh, the phrase uh, phrase Metroidvania and Egovania, um, which is kind of interesting. That like this game created a genre of video games. Yeah, so Egovania is more specific to Igarashi's style because you have the Metroidvania, which is basically just I would say essentially a Metroid game with a spin on it. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you have Egovania, which is more specific that has those sort of RPG leveling up mechanics. Hmm. Um, trying to find other examples. Really popular one right now is Hollow Knight. I, I wanted to talk specifically about that. Oh, uh, all cave, right. Okay. Cave Story is oh, a yes. big one. Yeah. Oh, my uh, gosh. Oh, God. I'm trying to think of the other ones that I've done recently. I don't know. It's hard because Hollow Knight has so much of a place in my heart right now. Like, I just went to play it uh, the other night, and it's just – it's it's – endless the amount of content that is in that game um but back to castlevania because i just wanted to say these uh egovania games like you have the triad of beautiful like amazing perfect game boy games which is um harmony of dissonance aria of sorrow oh what is the third one circle of the moon i think 
Circle of the Moon. Mm-hmm. So these I are played all, all three of those. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Circle of the Moon has got a different director, but I think it's still fun. It's sort of the black sheep of the group. Um, also, also, fun fact, Vampire Killer, composed by Vampire Killer is the song that... <laughs> bit of chiptune history was uh, composed by uh, a lady named Kinuyo Yamashita under, okay, the amazing pseudonym James Banana. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did not know that. Yep, yeah. Uh, like everybody in the credits of the game, everybody's under pseudonyms and they're all really, really silly. Like, and, and a lot of them are just based on uh, universal horror properties. Yeah, Castlevania was great. It always had like really cool monsters. Like it had the Tsuchinoko, which is uh, in Aria of Sorrow. It's a, a Japanese cryptid that looks, it's like a big slug snake. <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's like a pudgy snake. Yeah, it's like a really fat, round snake. What does he? What does he eat? I don't know. Whatever he wants to. I don't know if anybody knows what a Suchinoko <laughs> eats. <laughs> they're just really fast and they hide and I don't know. They're around. Um, oh, and something else that I really like about Castlevania games specifically is that the boss battles have been so influential throughout time. Like if you're looking at like thinking of you know predicting patterns and countering them using different techniques like you see that all the way through to like dark souls games like the dark souls franchise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here's my hot take yes or no question uh is bloodborne the best 3d castlevania uh that has ever been made and why Mm. So that's an interesting. Um, well, that's an interesting yeah. way of thinking about it because these these things that we define as Castlevania's games are typically two D. Like you know, that you only yeah. move on the one platform, the one plane, forward, back, up, down. Whereas you know, the Dark Souls games are are, are fully three D. You're moving around in a in a fully realized and rendered world, but. Just as we said that a Metroidvania game is one in which you have the whole world available to you and you you have a big game-wide goal that you're working towards, it's, it is a very similar ethos. And then when you have that and you, you, you combine it with, like, you know, escalating levels of horror, starting with universal movie monsters like the Wolfman, like we're looking at Bloodborne, who do you fight at first? You uh-huh, fight uh-huh. The, the angry mobs of people from Frankenstein and you fight the Wolfman and then you go on and you move on to fight, you know, these Medusas and, you know, bug eventually it bug Bugmen and cryptids and, you know, so it's sort of that kind of escalation. I think it's similar. That's my opinion. And also like the way that you're uh, unlocking stuff. The, the only reason that I see it as uh, in any way different from a, a Castlevania game is the fact that you don't actually get to look at your map, which is something that frustrates me a lot and makes it hard for me to play Bloodborne because I cannot have an internal map. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> and those Castlevania games are usually really like the, the the fact that you can look at your map is kind of 
central to the identity of these games because a lot yeah. of them have to have like bonuses for when you like you've 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 gone to every spot you've filled out the whole map and now you get special content as a reward well and and that's the thing like they they take advantage of that sort of negative uh gameplay space which is a a, a concept in in uh game design where you have a place um that is difficult to get to but the player can get there what what do you put there you put nothing there well that just totally disincentivizes exploration so you have to put something there that they can find so that they can feel like a clever little boy for for finding the secret thing um (laughs) so uh like games like uh hollow knight will have all these cool collectibles and and lore that's that's another thing that i really like about these games is that um, because of the fact that it's so exploration based, they usually have a lot of layers of lore that you can learn through environmental storytelling, essentially, because you find an item in an area and the area says something about why the item is there. And then, um, you know, usually that item unlocks the ability to get to another place where you can find a new item and so on and so forth. It's a very um, compelling uh um, loop, as as it's sometimes described by by people who write about video games. There's this sort of idea of like, I get put in a situation where I don't know how to proceed. I find a way through, and that gives me a new tool that I can use to enter a new situation where I don't know how to proceed, and I have to find a way through it so I can gain access to a new tool, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, exactly that. And I think that the that honestly, that at least I have played because I've played a lot. Of Metroidvanias. I've played Cave Story. I've played the Shantae games that were Metroidvanias. Played a little bit of Bloodstained. Not Bloodstained. Uh, Blasphemous and Bloodstained. <laughs> it's a popular genre. There's lots of games in yeah, this. Yeah, there's just a lot. There's just a lot. <laughs> but Hollow Knight is um, my favorite because it has such... First off, it has amazingly lush lore. So uh, you can go through the game not knowing a single thing about what's going on. But if you're, you know, paying attention and looking around, you can absorb everything through the environment um, and you get like very... It's very limited uh, reading that you have to do. It's very much show, don't tell, Mm -hmm. which is very nice. Uh, Another thing that is really, really cool uh, is that if you are creative enough in that game, there is only one absolutely necessary uh, movement mechanic that you need to unlock. Hmm. Which is the uh, what is it? I think it's the vengeful spirit. It's just you shoot you shoot out a fireball, and that's all that you need <laughs> to, to access the entirety of the map. Because of the fact that the movement mechanics are so well fleshed out, um, they and in fact they like tested it, and they really Team Cherry, who, who created the game, really wanted a game where uh, you could go wherever you wanted to using just you know manipulating the the uh, the movement and the gameplay techniques that that you learn throughout the game you you can really just access anything Hmm. Well, Laura Ray, I wanted to ask you, what got you interested in the uh, Castlevania the game and genre? Okay, so this is a very cute story. <laughs> 
Okay, I was a little, little kid. I think it was like 11 years old, 10 or 11. And I was, I wanted to play bingo at my dad's company picnic, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, so I did the pie eating contest instead. And I won. And, the, and I was so freaking proud of myself. And the thing that I won was a Pelican Game Boy Advance accessory kit. Oh. And I thought, oh, surely this comes with a Game Boy. And it but didn't. But it did not? <laughs> did oh, no. Not. So my mom went out the same day to uh, Toys R Us and got me, or, you know, what, what was GameStop before GameStop was GameStop? It was like one of those oh. non-existent chains anymore. E- EB? EB? Yeah, like EB Games, yeah, something like that. And she got me a purple Game Boy Advance and uh, Castlevania Circle of the Moon. So it was like the first... And I had played, you know, video games, like, really, you know, since before I could talk. Because my parents were big into, you know, Nintendo, and they they did a lot of arcade gaming when they were in school. Um, And so we had been playing games as a family for you know years and years and years uh but this was my first game that was mine and mine alone so it was very very influential on me and like it also uh sort of uh it it unlocks my favorite thing which is just to go uh to a new place and look and explore and find out everything about it. Like look into all the minutiae and, and figure out what's going on and, and, you know, what's here and uh, what I can learn. That's pretty neat. Yeah. That's nice. pretty neat. Do you have a favorite character? Um, I mean, I would say, Oh God, Soma from Aria of Sorrow. Cause he He's was great. hot. <laughs> so Aria of Sorrow is this really cool game, Cassie, where it's set in, I think it's actually set in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, it is. It's um, Tokyo the 2020 idea- and there's an eclipse. And then you go to the, they go like through a shrine yeah. uh, into the moon, which is eclipsed. And then there's a castle there. It's all very stupid. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Dracula's castle exists inside of an eclipse. And Soma is this like 20 year old college boy who uh, he gets taken there with his girlfriend. Mina. Mina and she oh yeah Mina I fucking wow I didn't even that didn't even click for me hold on hold on also okay so his castle exists in an eclipse a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse Okay. All right. I was going to say, whoa, there's like a connection to Dracula and the Sun in the new Dracula yeah. series. Never mind. That's still weird. <laughs> but he, he goes there with his girlfriend, Mina, who is like sick, like being in the in the castle makes her sick or whatever. So he has to figure out oh, how to I, save she's- her. She's also like a shrine maiden. Like she's got the little outfit and the little hair thingies. Huh. Uh, And he meets this guy there called Arikado, which is like the Japanese way of saying Alucard, which was the character from the first of these Castlevania Symphony Symphony of the Night. Yeah. Which is just Dracula spelled backwards. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's like a thing, right? Alucard being, you know, the son of Dracula or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if it's a thing beyond Japanese culture. <laughs> I know that it is in a lot of Japanese things. 
But yeah, that was my first uh, Castlevania too, Laura Ray. Um, well, not too, because I know yours was Circle of the Moon, but that was my first Castlevania game. Um, and it was so exciting and fun. Um, I'd never really played anything like it at all before. Yeah, I can just remember, like, I would have dreams of playing Castlevania and, like, hearing the soundtrack. I, I, I there was a point where I was, I, I was playing. Um, Here he is. Oh, oh. what's it called? Yeah, I know, right? This is the guy that I had a picture of that I drew that uh, uh, Max said that he had a Michael Jackson nose. <laughs> it does a little bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, Harmony of Dissonance, I played that while listening to The Tombs of Atuan, which is an amazing uh, piece of fiction. I was listening to it on tape. Uh, and like they describe like the labyrinth and, and being underground and uh, it's just all very spooky and atmospheric and, and it all brings that back to me, to my brain. Nice. Oh, I'm showing, this is Cassie. This is what the map looks like in Castlevania. Oh. It's very big. It's very tomb-like. Yeah. Every single one of those little squares you have to visit it. Oh, um, that's a lot. Yeah, it's 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 huge, and it sort of lights up when you go there, so you know where you've been. Okay. Oh, you should also check out the map for Hollow Knight because oh, that yeah. one is amazing. And I think I might actually like. I don't know if you can put up a thing like a picture to go along with, but I'd love to go through that map because it's really really cool. Whoa! Yeah, it's yeah. a lot more interest. It's more visually interesting, Ooh. I feel like, than a than a traditional Castlevania map because it's also less. It's less like. Of a of an of a one to one representation of what you're experiencing. Yeah, um, yes. it's more it's more general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, I'm trying to find a good picture of this where it actually tells me what the areas are called because I can't remember them. Oh my god. Yeah, and they all have cool names like uh, the Queen's Gardens yes. and the City of Tears and the <laughs> Crystal Peak. Yeah, and the thing is, that's so interesting how they're uh, interconnected. Like one of the big things is that the city of tears uh, is directly below the Blue Lake, which is mm-hmm. just sort of just a flat lake of water. Which is why in the city of tears, it is literally always raining. Ooh, it's sort of like one of those mysterious things because you 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 find the city of tears before you find the blue lake. Mm-hmm. So people are like, I wonder why it's always raining here. Hmm, In this I underground place. I, I, I wonder if you'll find that out sometime. Yeah. All of it takes place underground, which is awesome. And well, I feel like we're actually burying the lead of the coolest thing about Hollow Knight, which is, to me, which is the fact that it is on a much smaller scale than all of these other games. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah. all of the characters are bugs. Yeah. They're oh, little yeah. insects. Yeah, they're little bugs and they're really, okay. So this is it's a game very, that is- like insectophobe safe. Yeah. Too. Well, it's simultaneously terrifying because <laughs> like- you know, you're just this little guy and you got to fight all these bigger guys than you. Mm-hmm. But also the cutest thing ever, because, again, you're just this little guy. Yeah. yeah. You're just this little guy. You're a little, little friend. And he's got little horns. <laughs> really cute. And you go swish, swish with your little knife. He's uh-huh. the cutest ever. Uh, and like there's a couple of pieces of media about like the animations that because he had to be animated like 
very specifically because he's so small compared to the rest of the things that you're fighting that -hmm. they have to make it really, really clear, you know, the actions and the moves that you're Mm -hmm. making uh, against like your enemies. So he has a, a lot of little interesting animation flourishes that make him pop from uh, the enemies. And there's also like a lot of places where you can sort of cancel out of a move. Now, this is the thing that is totally like people would say, oh, I'm the worst ever. And I'm going to say that Hollow Knight is the Dark Souls of Metroidvanias because it's got that... (laughs) It's got that Dark Souls mechanic where if you die, you lose all your stuff and you have to go back and get it. Um, so if somebody is, is sort of newer to video games and they are excited by the way this sounds, do you have any like starting recommendations, things that would be a, a good primer on this style of experience? Well, I would say definitely. I think a really good way to start out would be to try a Shantae game because they're a lot uh, sort of, they're, they're a lot less creepy and spooky. They're very, very cute. They're, they've got cute girls in bikinis. So what's there to hate? Uh, and, <laughs> and that's a pretty long running uh, series, right? It is. It is. Um, and you can get like emulated uh, of the old games as well that are pretty good. Uh, but right now I would say Seven Sirens is, it, it really captures that Metroidvania feeling while also being not punishingly hard. And But if you are looking for something punishingly hard, if you're looking for something really uh, slam your head against the wall punishingly hard, I would say Blasphemous. <laughs> but if you're looking for something that is... Well, Blasphemous is also really violent and gory <laughs> and, <laughs> and full of like creepy uh, Catholic imagery, you know, like, mm. you know, all of that. Uh, it has like, oh, it's it's essentially like taking place in a world where everything has literally gone to hell and like the Catholic interpretation of hell. That's mm-hmm. very disturbing. And, and if, I'm, have to if I'm reading it right, it's a very specifically Spanish Catholic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. tradition so there's uh, all this like imagery and and sort of storytelling um ideas that emerge out of catholic traditions that originated mainly in spain mm. well not necessarily because you have some franciscan things um oh. yeah cool. it's very it's it's pretty broadly catholic but like a big thing that they have is uh mortification of the flesh which basically means you become a better person by being tortured <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's a that's one of those fun Catholic things that we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you if you want something that is just a, a real kick in the teeth, blasphemous, I would suggest. Like if you if you're like, oh well, you know, Castlevania is just too easy for me. Uh, but <laughs> I think a really good middle ground, again, especially if you really, really, really like lore, is Hollow Knight. I mean, I think it's one of my favorite games of all time. Aww. And, you know, I think that's one of the most interesting things about this genre is that there is such a wide uh, breadth of tonal experiences. You can have, on the one hand, your Shantae games, which are cute and bubbly and like very colorful and poppy. And on the other hand, games like Blasphemous, which are uh, disturbing. S- disturbing and so explicitly horror themed that 
you know, if you if you cut your teeth on the sort of Hollow Knights and Shantae's, you might be quite viscerally upset by a game like Blasphemous. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not for all. No. But it is, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, I just I, I don't I don't like it as much because a lot of the lore they give to you in like paragraphs of texts, which oh. I'm not I'm not interested in. But I mean, that's that's another thing where it's like all of it is like very, uh, you know, Catholicly worded it's like very like you know seems like a a text that would be written by a franciscan monk so Hmm. do you think that it is uh (laughs) pro-catholic or (laughs) (laughs) i think why have they taken this very catholic uh stance i don't think that it's pro-catholic or anti anti-catholic necessarily i think it's just a sort of a deep dive deep dive into the creepier parts of the lore because you can get into that kind of thing like that stuff is pretty interesting yeah i i I used to be pretty interested in in that sort of a thing um because you know you can get dark and and gothic and and spooky I, yeah. I think it's sort of like how Bloodborne, uh, to take an earlier example, uh, is, is a game that very heavily trades both the sort of like gothic, Vic- Victorian gothic, and also um, H.P. Lovecraft style imagery and and um, storytelling, but doesn't really comment on those things. Just sort of presents them like, here's a pastiche of all of our favorite things from this, um, from this uh, aesthetic. Yeah, it's not really, it's, it's borrowing the lore, but not commenting on it at all yeah i guess in kind of the same way that koji igarashi was doing when he created um symphony of the night he was just sort of mashing up all of these things you know wolfman frankenstein dracula um you you fight death in all the castlevania games which i always love yeah Mm -hmm. oh this is i'm sorry this is a really really fun fact uh if you play bloodborne you get to castle canehurst oh yeah there's there's a guy named martyr logarius who you fight and his fighting game mechanics in Bloodborne, he has literally the exact same attacks that Death usually has in Castlevania. He has those really? spinning sides. He has the skulls. It's all really, really cool. And a fun like, little I- flair that they put in these games because the, uh, they're Japanese games. Um, and the word for the number four and death is the same in Japanese language. Uh, when you fight death, he always has 4,444 hit points. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really fun, Laura Ray. I'm glad you uh, shared this with us. Uh, was there anything, any more like interesting stories that you were able to find about um, these games or about um, Igarashi or, or anything that you want to share with our listener? Or um, anything that you're looking forward to. Oh, yeah. That you, uh, before we wrap up. Well, well, if it ever, I mean, COVID happened, so, you know, game development has been a little bit rougher lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if it ever gets off the ground, Hollow Knight does have an announced sequel Ooh. called Silk Song that is based off of one of the main antagonists who becomes a protagonist uh, in Hollow Knight. Hornet, uh, she's the first really challenging boss that you face. Uh, And she's also uh, a boss that unlocks essentially the Mm. good ending. Mm. Like any of the good endings, you have to fight her twice. Uh, But yeah, there's it's uh, based on her journeys, I think, either before or after, you know, you see her in Hollow Nest. And I've looked 
at all of the environments and they just look amazing. Like there's one that's like a coral reef inspired environment and I'm just way into that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, if Silk Song ever happens, we're crossing our fingers. Team Sherry, come on, you can do it. I believe in you. And this is very small, but I, I since you brought up Hornet, I just think as a as a gamer myself, one of my favorite things about these style of games is that you know often you'll be fighting big monsters that are scary and huge, and they move in ways that are emblematic of big monsters. But often, to me, the most fun I'm having in these games is when there's a fight with somebody who basically has the same moves and abilities as my character. Um, and oh, that yeah. is what the Horner fight felt like to me was kind of a duel with somebody who has very similar kinds of tactics and tools, which is always fun because it just feels like such a t- you you as the as the player character obviously are stronger than other enemies in, in lots of ways. Like you can move around better. You usually have better control over over your movement and things like that. So when you fight somebody who has the same vocabulary, it's really exciting and it feels like a big like a very high level exam. Yeah, and and that's again like I'm gonna beat this uh, bloodborne drum until it's not a, <laughs> not a drum anymore, and it's a horse and it's dead. Anyway, uh, yeah, like the the best part or the most challenging part of the for you sure. know, bloodborne games is the hunter battles where you're you're fighting against somebody who isn't big. It's somebody who's really small, but they're as good as you are. Yeah. And Laura Ray, you're going to be a character from Hollow Knight, right? Yeah. For Halloween. I, I really want to do a Hornet costume, but it's going to be my first time uh, working with uh, the craft foam that you use to make like LARP weapons. Ooh. So we'll see how it works out. I fortunately have a lot of uh, people uh, with experience because I did do LARPing at one point in my life. Um, <laughs> so, so hopefully it'll go well. Nice. Well, if you feel comfortable sharing a picture with us so we can show it off, that would be very cool. But otherwise, we wish you great luck with that. Thank you. Uh, uh, and now we want to uh, pivot to the section of the show where we read your input, listener. Last week's question was, do you have a favorite cemetery in your area? And as a bonus question, have you visited the oldest cemetery near you? Victoria says, I enjoy cemeteries as well, though it's not often I visit them. I just appreciate them. I used to live by the Lone Fir Cemetery in Portland, and it was so peaceful and beautiful. I would even go with my bestie to do some drawing. Since your episode, I've actually thought about volunteering, as it's still an active cemetery and could use the extra love given its 150-year history. I also used to live by Hampstead Heath Cemetery in London, and was lucky enough to have my picture taken at Karl Marx's grave with a black cat that walked up out of the bushes. Haha. The best part of a cemetery is the collective history that resides within. It allows us all a connection to our past, and I hope people continue to make efforts to preserve and honor that history. Thank you so much, Victoria. That was lovely. And yeah, we're really glad um, that this has made you think about volunteering at uh, your local cemetery. That's really lovely. The Soda Jerk on Twitter says, Glenwood Cemetery in Houston, Texas. Very historic Houston cemetery. Howard Hughes, among others, are buried there. Hmm. Andy asterisk... K250 says, there is an old 1800 cemetery with 20 to 30 graves in the woods near the house in the countryside where I grew up. It is maintained by the Corps of Engineers. It is peaceful. Austin on Discord says, I grew up around Arlington Cemetery, which I cleaned every Memorial Day with the Boy Scouts. Cleaned and placed flags. That's pretty neat. Maddie says, 
Oh, I love visiting cemeteries. I like seeing the transition between older parts of the cemetery and worn down graves and big old trees and newer parts where the graves have fountains or displays built into them and they seem bizarrely sunny. Pullman Cemetery is a great illustration of that. I've been to Pullman Cemetery and it is really cool. I didn't, didn't know we had one out there. Mike on Twitter says, very glad to have this reputation. My favorite cemetery is up in Monterey. Nice walking paths, fun mix of mausoleums and headstones. Haven't found one in Denver yet. What a shame. Hmm. Yeah. There must be some. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's kind of weird. I I, uh, was in Denver almost every day as a teenager. And yeah, I can't think of any cemeteries around there. They must be hidden. Beth on Discord says, I don't have a favorite cemetery, but one time my family stopped at a roadside cemetery on the way to or from one of our relatives' houses, and we found two tombstones dating back to the 1800s. And it was just this tiny, little, unassuming roadside plot with no sign or anything. I think about it often. Briar says, I don't know if I have a favorite cemetery, but there's the clean, neat new one closer to me, and then there's the small, older one that I know nothing about even though I pass it often, and there's a bike path that I routinely used to use as a kid, and even though I've never been inside that cemetery, I definitely prefer it. It's just a different vibe. Eli on Discord says, The church I went to on St. Simon's Island Christ Church at Frederick is one of the oldest churches in America, and I have had a lot of fun and spooky memories of that cemetery. Eli also says, If you're interested in cemeteries, defo drive down to the north end of the island by Fort Frederica. Christchurch is super pretty and defo a little haunted. And Ty, also on Discord, says, I do have a favorite cemetery in my area. It's only about half a mile from my apartment, about as old as the United States, and really nice for runs and walks. Uh, The most memorable one I've been to is somewhere in Georgia. My dad took me, which involved driving down dirt roads and into the woods for 20 to 40 minutes, All we found were overgrown, toppled headstones and a stone altar. Ooh, mysterious. I would like to add one more cemetery. There's a cemetery in Haddonfield, New Jersey, where I lived for three years. And it is originally a Quaker cemetery. So it's it's been there since like probably the 1600s. So um, because of the Quaker, I guess, religion, uh, a lot of the original graves are not marked because they didn't believe in marking graves. Whereas later on, they started to become these tiny little stones. It's really cool and kind of creepy. I actually never went wandering in it and I don't know why should have maybe we can visit someday yes uh laura ray do you have a question that you'd like to ask our listeners for next week i mean i think that my my main stated question that i think that people should think about again is bloodborne the best 3d castlevania really think about it and tell me yes or no why or why not or you can also just say what's your favorite metroidvania or egovania game Cool. So send those answers to us on Twitter or or our email inbox. You can hit us up on Twitter at youmightlovetH1 or send an email to youmightlovethispodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who listens to the show and for, you know, telling your friends about you might love this and sharing the things that you love with us, writing reviews on Apple podcasts, because it's such a a critical thing for podcasts that are new like we are. Um, And just for following along and and finding us on Facebook, the you might love this podcast group, uh, following us on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, to our friends at the Scavengers Network, which is our home on the internet, which I don't know if I've said uh, in 
the past couple episodes, but it's still true. <laughs> and you can still find more great shows at thescavengersnetwork.com. Um, and of course, thank you to you, Laura Ray. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, oh, it was a pleasure. Uh, is there somewhere on the internet that you share your work that people can follow along with? Uh, I am on Instagram. I have two uh, profiles, little.rad.demon. That's got like my costuming and my everyday life stuff. And then my art is little.rad.demon.art. <laughs> 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 they won't let you do spaces so <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the next best so this is this is what i do and you and do commissions right i do do commissions i have a website uh with my jacket commissions that is btl uh hyphen rdy.com so if you feel like getting a really cool battle jacket i can do that for you they are very cool. They are Can super Can confirm. Um, well, uh, well, that's about does it for us uh, for this week. Of course, we want to say uh, thanks to our dear friend Leandra for the podcast art. Thanks, thanks for, for the, the hand. hand. And we'll see you again next week on You Might Love This. As always, my name is Max. I'm Cassie. And I'm Laura Ray. And you might love this. Yay! The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. Do you wish your life was a little more spooky? Well, what the heck? Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Reed. And I'm Lindsay Reed. And this is Spooky Spouses, a podcast about ghosts and stuff. Tall tales. Although we went to dinner last night and you told the lady on our wait list that our name was Cradge. Was it Cradge? <laughs> Creepy cryptids. There. Poor Pizza Rat. Pizza Rat is pizza and a rat. Yeah, it's double delicious. He's a rat with pizza. It's like, yeah. oh man. Thank God there hasn't been a corn dog rat. Or you'd be eating that I rat. Think, you know what? I think, in my defense, if someone was like, you ate a live rat, I'd say, well, it was holding a perfectly good corn dog. <laughs> Monstrous goofs. Well, you could probably just put a video because, like, our tombstones will probably just be, like, videos replaying. They'll be, like, memes or oh gifts. Yeah. Our tombstones will probably just be gifts. That's, that's one of the coolest things you've ever said. A spooky spot. <laughs> Sorry, there's something stuck in my throat that whole time. Spooky Spouses, a part of the Scavengers Network and Viddy Space. New episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts.